giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Brian Hollins, founder of the Takeoff Institute and founding managing partner of Collide Capital. Brian, thanks for joining me. Chad, I'm pumped to do this. Thanks for having me. So you are obviously the founder of the Takeoff Institute. So let's start there. Why don't we give folks a brief overview of what the Takeoff Institute is, and then we'll dive right in. Absolutely. Happy Black History Month. Uh, Let's start there. Yeah. I'm a Black undergraduate student in the past, and I'm building something for Black undergraduate students today. So Takeoff Institute is focused on equipping Black undergrads with the resources and mentorship they need to build a young professional career. Um, I was lucky enough to go to Stanford for undergrad and you know, almost get thrown over the wall, if you will, um, by mentors and, and and people that could advise me as I broke into my young professional career. And I, I unfortunately noticed that that wasn't the same for a lot of other folks. Um, I ran diversity recruiting at Goldman Sachs for a few years and just saw some of the mistakes and, and little things that, you know, people who don't have advisors, people who don't have mentors, people who don't have, you know, an older brother in private equity. I saw the mistakes they were making and knew I wanted to build something to help bridge that gap. So we focus on providing, you know, the types of things that I think you need to break into a Goldman Sachs or a Tesla or a Facebook or a McKinsey today that might not have been true five years ago. And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of career development offices and, and programs out there are, are helping students break into a job that, that doesn't exist anymore. And that's more mm-hmm. focused on some of the skills that, that we've tried to tap into. Yeah. And what are those skills? Yeah, I'll, I'll point to a few off the top of my head. One is just polish. You know, if you've never had an internship, uh, you don't know cadencing on scheduling or or sending an email to a direct report or, you know, really focusing on your LinkedIn and your resume and your social media being clean and disciplined. And so we bring to light a lot of the things that I think employers are looking for today. You know, I'll, I'll use a good example with our students. If you don't have 500 connections on LinkedIn, the number of connections you have shows. But if you have more than 500 connections, it just shows 500 plus. And as mm-hmm. a recruiter, you know, when you really think about it, at the top of the funnel, they use these little things to guide a lot of their decision making. For better or worse, I'm not sure it's a great way to decide who should be a good candidate for your company. But when you get 5,000 applications and you need to get it down to 100 in a couple days, there's little things like sending your resume in a Word doc instead of a PDF or having spelling errors in your application or not filling out some of the boxes that matter. And so we really train them on that etiquette and polish. Another bucket that I think is super important, we built a speaker series at the Takeoff Institute called You Can't Be What You Can't See. And, you know, I, I think for a lot of black undergraduate students, you go through a super day at some of these places, you might meet 10, 15 people. Most of the time, you're not going to meet anyone black. Mm-hmm. And you're definitely not going to meet black people that are at the executive level. And so, you know, we really pride ourselves on bringing in managing directors from banks and founders and CEOs from, you know, growing companies and leading venture capitalist investors and just help our students see that there are people out there doing what they did. There are people that come from their backgrounds that also weren't sure who they were going to be when they were a sophomore or junior in college. And so, Building confidence is is another key kind of pillar of the of the program that we that we really pride ourselves on, and you know we're very lucky. We have students at Tesla, at Apple, at Facebook, at Goldman, at NBC Universal. You know, these these students have broken into really exciting roles, and as we think about sort of building the the full flywheel around takeoff, 
now those students become advocates. Now those students become mentors and advisors. And we sort of build proximity for our students to help them realize there are people that very recently went through a very similar program and are now doing the things that they aspire to do. That's great. It sounds to me like it really is a combination of things that they might not have the opportunity to have done before or ex- or gain the experience in because they're marginalized historically. Mm-hmm. And also just like things that are good to have that in general aren't taught in school. That's right. Um, regardless of your opportunity. And sometimes people who have more opportunity are getting that exposure in the jobs that they have along the way and that kind of thing that makes it subtly easier for them to succeed later on, let alone what they look like when they show up to the interview. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think the anecdote I'll use there is, you know, most of the things that I'm teaching these kids, you can find on Google. The problem is they don't know what to look for. Mm-hmm. And when we think about, you know, fast tracking these students or getting them into these rooms quicker, getting them through those interviews more effectively, it's almost like bringing all of these resources to right in front of their face and allowing them to soak and absorb them in a, in a, in a very efficient manner. So, you know, uh, there's a guide somewhere on the internet of how to break into consulting and there's a guide on how to crush a product interview and there's a guide on how to build a perfect resume or a perfect LinkedIn But we find that most of our students, one, don't know that they should be looking for that stuff, and two, don't know how to kind of go get it all when it matters. And that's really what we focus on, bringing all that stuff in front of them at at, at just a more efficient clip and and help them build that confidence so that when they do get in front of that interview, they're they're sort of armed with with all the things they need to succeed. Mm -hmm. Well, I know you're already solving a big problem, but is there anything in particular that you do to then make sure that once these people are in the workforce, in the workplace, they're going to companies that are going to treat them right, where they're not going to face bias as much as possible and those kinds of things? Or are you mostly focused on getting them ready right now? No, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. I'd, I'd put that in, in a 2.0, take off university, mm-hmm. take off institute, but it's absolutely critical. Uh, it's super important. And we have a long way to go. Chad, I yeah. don't want to. I don't want to pretend like uh, the, the the world is is ten times better than it was five years ago. But the transparency through which some of this data is being recorded, the accountability that's being held in rooms that matter, so C suite, executive suite, board meetings, it is changing, and I'm very excited about that because I think for the students that can, and this isn't every student, I don't want to pretend like it is. Uh, But for the students that can choose where they go, they're going to choose to go to those companies. They're going to choose to go Mm -hmm. to the companies where there is active, positive feedback from underrepresented people. So black, Latin, female, people that don't look like the rich white guy that runs the company, they're going to look for that feedback and they're going to look for companies that very, very clearly advocate for supporting those types of communities. And again, I, I I think we're in the early innings of that. But I think that we're, we're definitely on a path towards that being more and more important. And that sort of tailors who we partner with and who we spend time with. And if you look at a lot of our partners, that they are people that care about that stuff. And, and they are people that are actively working on doing something about it, which we certainly appreciate. So the core of the of Takeoff Institute is the fellowship. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. What exactly is that? The Takeoff Institute Summer Fellowship is an eight-week program again, designed to advance and equip black undergraduates with the resources and mentorship they need to launch a young professional career. So Mm -hmm. 
the first thing that I think about is what we had talked about earlier, just aggregation of resources. So we have a partnership with Wall Street Prep. And so our students have to do an Excel and PowerPoint tutorial within the first two weeks of the program. And that's in after hours and they have to do it on their own and we, we track their progress and they have to submit it mm-hmm. because I cannot think of a single role in a post undergraduate career uh, where it is not important to be literate in both of those platforms. And also maybe more importantly, where top performers are not very good in, in both of those platforms. So that's the first piece is, is resource aggregation. And this is happening remotely? This is all remote. This is all remote. I started the Takeoff Institute in 2020. Chad, I hope there is a day where I say that none of it is is remote, but um, it's the world we live in, and it's it's what allowed us to to kind of scale it the way we did. You know, we had over 500 kids apply for our first fellowship two years ago. We took 50 and had a little over 600 apply for the second year, and and took 50 again last summer, and have some really exciting things coming up for this summer. So. We can talk about the, the 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 sort of goal and and where we're headed later, but the second piece is is the the speaker series that I told you about, and so bringing in folks during our weekly meetings and and allowing them to ask questions and be vulnerable and and share that experience. Um, the third piece is is mentorship, and so I wanted to recreate the feeling of having a direct report. I think too many black undergrads get to uh, their first job without any real internship experience. And I think in an internship, one of the things you do is you make a bunch of dumb mistakes where your direct report tells you they were dumb because you're an intern and you sort of, you sort of check that box like, whoops, I did that. I'm never going to do it again. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when you, when, you get, when you get to your first job and that's some of the stuff you're doing early on, it just doesn't go well. It doesn't lead to you being ranked highly. It doesn't lead to you getting the offer a year later. It doesn't lead to you getting sort of the advocacy and and support of people internally to say that you're a top performer. So we almost try to recreate that direct report internship experience and allow them to make some of those mistakes. And so every student is paired with a one-on-one advisor. And so, you know, for folks that are listening, if, if you want to be an advisor, it's, I'd call it anywhere from 25 to 50 year olds with a desire to help undergraduate students succeed. Um, we have a variety of, of, of different types of advisors. And again, it's, it's really about challenging our students to make sure they, you know, they send the email to check in, they send the email to let them know that they need to meet, they send the calendar invite. And if it's an ET, they, oh, wow, I need to send that in PT. So just giving them that experience. So, you know, resources, access to people that look like them in seats that matter, and mentorship and guidance are kind of the three main pillars of the Takeoff Institute. I love that idea of learning from experiencing failure. One of the things someone speaking for myself, coming from a place of opportunity and privilege and being a white male, I might approach certain circumstances where I'm just not as afraid of failure. I'm a big believer in learning through failure. And so because of that, I'm less afraid of that. Yeah. But someone who hasn't had that opportunity and is underrepresented uh, might be much more scared of what might happen if they fail. Yeah. And that's just missing the opportunity to do that. I think you're absolutely right. And I want to, if you're open to it, have a little fun here. I'd love to flip that question on you and, and just think about, you know, what are some of the things that you would be sharing or, or kind of guiding to underrepresented ecosystems to help them bridge that gap, to help them kind of get that confidence to know that they do have the right, they do have mm-hmm. the skills, they do have the knowledge to break into those places. And it's about sort of quieting that imposter syndrome and, and, and going after some of those opportunities. Yeah, I've always believed it's really difficult 
to tell people not to feel something that they're feeling like you mm-hmm. it's really hard to change someone's feelings and so i would sort of put it on the mentors that they need to work to create the environment where yeah. people understand that it's okay to make mistakes that's certainly the experience that i had in my internship when i was just getting started out you know i saw my manager making mistakes and they owned up to them and you know we talked about them and we were doing a lot of the same work we were working alongside of each other and so that sort of close working relationship is one thing and i, I don't know if you're aware but i thought about we have an apprentice program where new people are paired with a experienced mentor and it's almost entirely working together on work mm-hmm. so creating that opportunity so you know assuming you have a mentor that's supportive and wants to work with you great and if not i would say try to circumvent that as much as possible and get yourself working with them as much as possible so that you can get close to them and see them working and see them failing and really gain that firsthand experience which in and of itself can be uncomfortable to sort of force that i totally recognize that totally part of the program is they do a research report with their mentor and so it's it's sort of this guided, I'm here to answer questions, but I, I am not here to do this for you. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very intentional with our mentors about that. Like, I think a lot of these students, uh, especially the ones who have never had a direct report, they sort of wait until they're told what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't know how to turn on that proactive brain. And I think it's a super important muscle to flex, uh, especially at, at that age. Yeah. How do you teach a kid to do the thing that he thinks his boss is going to ask for as opposed to the thing that his boss asked for. Well, this is sort of a pet peeve of mine because I I think that in some ways is a flaw in our educational system. It's centered around people telling people what to do. Do what you're told. Yeah, (laughs) right. And so, you know, I was very fortunate that I had some teachers that did more sort of project-based learning Mm -hmm. and then chose to go to a a college that was project-based And the difference when you're in charge of something (laughs) and you're responsible and and people aren't telling you what to do, that really creates the environment where you can, where you can do that great work. Totally. You know, it's pretty cool. We keep sort of a repository of, of all of their presentations. And so a lot of them, you know, after the program is over, they'll, they'll actually share their presentation on their LinkedIn or, or through their socials. And, you know, just having a having a body of work that early in your career, you know, mapping the esports competitive landscape or uh, how to build a D2C skincare business for uh, people of color, you know, just, I mean, really cool projects that they're very proud of that they worked hard on and now that they can share. And uh, again, part of what we do is build that LinkedIn, build that that thought leadership, help them sort of become experts in their own craft, because I think that it builds that confidence that we just talked about missing for for so many of them. And it's doing all these little things that really just unlock their inner self. And I'm not I'm not giving them anything that they don't already have. I'm just I'm just kind of unlocking it. I wanted to tell you all about something I've been working on quietly for the past year or so, and that's Agency U. Agency U is a membership-based program where I work one-on-one with a small group of agency founders and leaders toward their business goals. We do one-on-one coaching sessions and also monthly group meetings. We start with goal setting, advice, and problem solving based on my experiences over the last 18 years of running ThoughtBot. 
As we progress as a group, we all get to know each other more, and many of the agency U members are now working on client projects together and even referring work to each other. Whether you're struggling to grow an agency, taking it to the next level and having growing pains, or a solo founder who just needs someone to talk to, in my 18 years of leading and growing ThoughtBot, I've seen and learned from a lot of different situations, and I'd be happy to work with you. Learn more and sign up today at thoughtbot.com slash agency U. That's A-G-E-N-C-Y, the letter U. Let's take a step back, and I'm curious what it takes to start something like Takeoff Institute. How difficult is it to set up a nonprofit? From when you decided to do this, what steps did you take as a founder getting off the ground? I'll give you context of of how I started it first. Um, Mm -hmm. I was a student at Harvard Business School. Nine months into my MBA program, uh, the, the world blew up. And so, you know, what was a, a trip to Shenzhen or, or Tokyo turned into, you know, hanging out in my apartment. And I think similar to what you described around that sort of participatory learning environment and how that helped you, HBS is known for what's called the case method. And mm-hmm. the case method is a very, very powerful way to learn. It's by far and away my favorite way to learn. And I knew nothing about it before I got to HBS and, and sort of the, the repeat experience of being presented a problem and having to choose a side and then gathering information after the fact around, you know, whether that was not necessarily right or wrong, but whether that was educated or insightful and then repeating that process over and over again, you just learn a ton about your biases and the types of things that you can and can't accomplish on your own without, without thinking of of other parts of your brain or using other 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 kind of tools in your toolbox. And so I found myself really challenged after my first year of school of saying, you know, I've never built anything and I've never I've never put my mind towards some of the problems that I think exist in the world. And you know, I, I mentioned while I was at Goldman, you know, running diversity recruiting at at Stanford for a couple of years and I saw so many problems and flaws in that model and then my youngest brother uh, was a Marine, so he served in the military for four years and then took the GI Bill, and he's now a junior at uh, Columbia University in New York. And I, I saw his journey, you know, very recently and, and a lot of the flaws in the, in the system. And, and so I just, I knew that this problem wasn't going anywhere, and I knew that I really, really wanted to be a part of the solution. And I think, unfortunately, our generation is taught that you know, you're supposed to turn 50 and be rich before you start giving back and, and before you would ever consider building a nonprofit. And, you know, I, I sort of call bullshit on that, to be honest. I, I think I will never mm-hmm. be more proximate to the problems I'm trying to solve than I am right now. And, you know, I'm 30 years old, I'm seven, eight years out of school, but I still very, very, you know, intentionally stay close to the undergraduate ecosystem and, and understand what it takes and what the problems are with breaking into industry right now. So I think it was a combination of being a student of the problem, knowing the problem, knowing it exists, building a, a confidence and, and sort of desire to become a leader while I was at HBS. And third, you know, COVID, you know, just realizing that a lot of these problems were actually being exacerbated and they were getting worse, not better. I'm sitting at HBS watching some of the smartest kids I know lose internships. And all I could think was, what does that mean for the black community? You know, what does that mean for mm-hmm. black undergrads who already don't have the internship that's high paying and, and kind of seasons through these types of things? 
And so I just, I want, I wanted to do something about it and I knew it was going to be bootstrapped. I knew I didn't have a, a million bucks to put towards it, but I, I knew I could put something together. And like I said, when I saw the demand for 500 plus kids applying, I, I knew we had something. And in the last two years, we've, we've done a lot and have a long way to go, but are, are really excited about, you know, some of the things around the corner. That's great context. And so how did you go from zero to something? The first part was just surrounding myself by people that I thought mm-hmm. wanted to be contributors and, and collaborators in building it. So that's that's both students and mentors. So it's sort of building, you know, an operating board and, and people around us to, to help us do it. I can tell you the process of, of launching a 501c3 is not fun. And it's not for mm-hmm. the faint of heart dealing with the government. And I, I caveat that by saying towards the end of the process, I almost appreciated how difficult it was because it, it forced me to get a lot of things in place that were not fun to put in place. And as a result, if I wasn't that serious about building this, I think I would have been paused multiple times mm. throughout the journey. While it's a frustrating manual kind of nasty process, I do think it's a it's a filtering mechanism for the government because the last thing you want to do is allow corporations to give people money that they think is going somewhere good and then it not go somewhere good. Right. And so I, I definitely appreciate that. But yeah, the, the the journey is not fun. I think anything that's bootstrapped, uh, I'm sure you've had plenty of guests on here that have experience at bootstrapped companies. You know, if you can't go out and raise $10 million like some of these seed companies on day one, well, then you can't hire five people and you can't set up, you know, all of the right systems online that you want to someday. So I think that's that's another component that I just learned a ton from was you know, how do we put the things in place to allow us to do this thoughtfully, but not necessarily the things in place that we want to have in year three when, you know, now we have a 500K P&L and, and can sort of flex into some different things and bring people on full time. So it almost forced us to build a bare bones mechanism that just went out and really focused on the product, you know, really focused on, is this something that black undergraduate students need and want? And only very myopically focus on that in the early days because all of the other stuff, the infrastructure of a nonprofit, the operating board, who we bring around it, what money we raise, none of that really matters if black undergrads don't see it as valuable. And so, you know, I very intentionally spent a lot of our time with the students and was very hands-on, I'm still very hands-on, but, you know, really spent time getting feedback and gathering feedback from our first cohort around, you know, what are the things you loved? What are the things we should change? Who are some of the speakers you wish you heard from? What are some of the ways we can engage you guys now that you have graduated? It's been a fun journey. I'm, I'm learning a lot still. You know, as, as you know, I run a venture capital fund uh, alongside this. And so, you know, just finding ways for those two things to talk to each other and, and to support one another. We back predominantly underrepresented founders. And so, you know, these founders come from the same ecosystems where our students come from. So mm-hmm. it's a really unique opportunity to sort of see synergies exist across, across the two things I'm building. As you were getting started with takeoff, did, you know, like you said, the, the most important thing was the students. So was there anything in particular that you did that you thought worked really well to l- let people know about this and spread the word? Yeah, I, I'd say less so in season one, chapter one, you know, whatever you want to call it, less mm-hmm. so in that season than than last season. And so what I did is I really turned on our kind of brand ambassador program. So taking the students who graduated from the first cohort mm-hmm. and using them to push us into career development offices, uh, help them share on their campuses. I mean, we had, you know, we had 50 students, but it wasn't 20 from Harvard and 20 from Stanford. It, you know, it, these are, we probably had 35 
maybe 40 schools represented where we had a few kids from a few different schools. But, you know, the network effects of allowing these students to go out and there's a hundred things on a job board at a school that, you know, people are trying to get access to these students, but there's not that many students actually advocating for the programs and saying, hey, I, I went through this and it was valuable and here's why it was valuable and here's why you should go through it. We have a ton of our students who are very proud of the program and 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 share us and share what we're building mm-hmm. with with other students. And I think that that was a really cool unlock because I think that's the most authentic way to get to, you know, your customers is go through people who who really have experienced what you're building and allow them to tell the story for you. You said you get 500 applications, 600 applications for the latest cohort, and you're choosing 50. How do you do that? We use a couple of different filtering mechanisms. So the first is the application. So there's questions in there around why they would join the program. You know, things like, do you have another internship lined up? You know, we, we tend to focus on kids who either couldn't get an internship or, you know, don't have a Goldman Sachs banking internship already lined up. Um, we, t- we tend to find that they're just, they're more absorbed by the program. They're more focused. Mm-hmm. The second thing is there's, you know, a, a couple questions around just sort of what their aspiration is. I try to look for students who at least have spent some time thinking about who they want to be when they grow up. That doesn't mean you need to know, but oftentimes if you're not curious or aspirational on your own, regardless of whether you have confidence, if you're not curious or aspirational on your own, it's very hard for me to elicit that in an eight-week program. And Mm -hmm. so we really try to sort of filter out the students that we think are excited about getting to the other side, are excited about breaking in, are excited about challenging ceilings. That's a little harder to search for than did they fill out their LinkedIn? Did they submit their PDF the right way? So that's, that's the second component. The third component is honestly being very intentional about matching with our mentors. So, you know, I try to find mentors that are at least somewhat lined up with the ecosystems these students want to go to. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I have someone that wants to break in a product, I actually think it's super valuable to get some of our friends that work at Facebook or some of our friends that work at Pinterest who are in product as their mentors, regardless of whether they work on, you know, a product related research project. And so using our mentors to kind of guide that journey from 100 to 50 students to make sure that they all feel like they are getting someone that can can really help advance them. And it's funny, it's pretty incredible. At the end of the program, a lot of them will come and say, I can't believe how similar I am to Tyler or <laughs> Stacy or Rebecca. You know, it's like, it's really incredible how connected they become. And I just like to say, oh yeah, you know, can't believe it too. Like we're, we're very <laughs> intentional in the background on making that happen, but our mentors stick around with our advisors. And I hear two years later, they, you know, are helping each other find a job or, you know, I'll get a, a picture of them out to brunch because they check in once a quarter. Like that's the stuff that just gets me super jacked up to, to keep doing it is recognizing that these people continue these relationships long after the, the fellowship program is over. Yeah, that's great. And really shows one of the great things about programs like this is, and you already alluded to it earlier, is they compound. That's right. As more people go through it, the value of the overall program hopefully goes up. That's right. So is there any interviews or anything as part of the process of getting? There's there's not. That's new this year, which we're super excited about. The first two years was, was again, really just us in the background um, making mm-hmm. that happen. And I wouldn't have known what to interview for, to be completely honest. I, I think- 
now I have a, just a better understanding of the type of student that succeeds in our program. Mm-hmm. I didn't entirely understand that before. And I, I think regardless of whether you're diverse yourself, I, I think there's an implicit bias that comes with jumping on a Zoom with someone and, and kind of seeing how they how they interact. And I, I don't know that those biases always lead you to the best candidate. And so I think we tried to take a thoughtful approach, but didn't want to over engineer the early yeah. days of, of building our cohorts. And we beta tested a, a bunch of different stuff. So, you know, we had freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and first year out, as well as Harvard, Stanford, Arkansas State, two-year community college, you know, really just the full gamut. There's 1.1 million black undergrads in the country in every given, in any given year. So um, finding students from all these different places and then and then kind of honing that in and figuring out, you know what, I think if you do this program right after your freshman or right after your sophomore year, it's super valuable. And it really sets you up to have that strong junior year internship because that's the one that matters. That's the one that, you know, changes your trajectory if you go get a good one. Mm-hmm. And so just learning those types of things over the first two years, I think really helped us hone in who we focus on, why we focus on them, what resources we provide for them. Cause it just, again, it just, it just helps us build that treadmill to really accelerate their, their trajectory into their young professional career. You mentioned undergrad. So the program is specifically focused for people in college going to a university of some kind. It's specifically focused on black undergraduate students. I, I struggled with this a little bit because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that need help. You know, I, right. I, I grew up in some underprivileged ecosystems as well. And there were plenty of poor white kids that, that also should get this or, you know, underrepresented, you know, Latinos that, that I knew. And while I wanted to build that, I also knew there's just a lot of noise. You know, there's a lot of resources and advice and people out there trying to help. And I, I kind of said to myself, uh, this is the, this is the demographic that I understand best. And instead of pretending like I know how to build a platform to, you know, help someone from an ecosystem, I don't truly understand break in. I'm just going to focus all my effort on getting more people that look like me. Cause I know that there's a need for that. I know that there's a gap for that. And I know that uh, historically, companies have not been good at doing that on their own. So right. that's been our focus. And, you know, I hope there's a day where we have the privilege to expand that horizon and, and spend time because we have the resources to do it. But for now, I, I still have a long way to go with within the black community. And I'm going to kind of keep focusing our time there. Yeah, I, I was thinking, you know, more about the kids who aren't even getting the opportunity to go to college. Yeah, yeah. You know, th- so there are 1.1 uh, million black undergrads, there are probably even more people who Absolutely. don't even get the opportunity to go to college. There's so many people you could help with this. What are your goals for growth and how do you serve more people? Yeah, I'll tell you the one that's that's top of mind because we're super excited about it and this hasn't been released too many places. And so for our lovely uh, ThoughtBot community, I'm, I'm super excited to kind of share this early, but we're building something called Takeoff University. Takeoff University will be the largest resource repository in the world for black undergraduate students. Again, I think that the positioning is black undergraduate students. I don't think that there's a paywall set up where if you don't have a a .edu, you can't use it. And so Mm -hmm. still thinking about kind of how we provide access for some of the people you're describing. But regardless, the idea being our fellowship is very hands-on and very intentional and specifically focused on kind of accelerating 50 people a summer. But how can we build something that more effectively brings in anyone in their undergraduate ecosystem development, whether you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, or senior, how can we deliver resources to you 
and get you some of the things that we know you need at the time that you need them and allow you to more effectively become part of the of, of the takeoff ecosystem. Because what we believe is we can build a pretty unique flywheel around the broader takeoff university ecosystem and, and some of the content and curriculum and thought leadership and just sharing that can occur there. You know, I, I think a lot about our older students, when we talk to them about how they engage with younger students, it's oftentimes younger students are sent to them. So they have a classmate who says, hey, you should talk to this guy. He broke in or he had an internship somewhere. And those students come and, you know, one of the first things they ask is, how do I do it, right? How do I become you? How do I do the thing you did? And I think for a lot of students, they don't have a good answer for that. It's, hey, let me send you these 2009 PDFs that someone sent me on banking recruiting or you know, hey, have you checked this out at the career development office? But they don't—they don't send them to anywhere, um, at least in a concentrated manner. And that—that's really what got me excited about building Takeoff University. Was there? There is not a centralized resource repository where any and every Black undergraduate student should go to sort of prepare themselves for their young professional journey. And so, some of the things that'll be a part of that are the first thing is you sort of come in as a as as a career exploratory quiz. You answer a bunch of questions on what you're interested in, what what stage you are in your, you know, internship development, what stage you are in your academic tenure, and it, it just helps guide us towards some of the resources that we know you should look at. It doesn't mean you can't spend time in the whole library, but help us sort of guide you in the early days, and then from there, you know, dynamic ways for students to engage. So building community and allowing them to share resources ways for companies to engage. So allowing companies to come in and identify students that might be top candidates for their programs. So really just building an inclusive ecosystem for black undergrads where they can come and know that they'll get valuable resources. And so we're really excited. We, we have some, some really cool things in the oven around this and excited to kind of launch it to the world later this year. That's great. What would it take for you to grow from 50 fellows to a hundred. And is that something that you want to do? Definitely. If you had used the number 500, I might, <laughs> I might, I might have paused. I might have paused. Um, again, 50 was like, get it right. You know, do it right. I have a hundred kids, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for all of them, but I have a lot of students that love what we did over their summer and, and really shout it from the rooftops to their community. And that means a lot to us. And you know, I'm not entirely sure that if it had been 100 and then 100 that I'd have 200 students who shout that, right? I, I think we were able to build a very intimate and hands-on experience for our first two cohorts. And as we grow and as we introduce technology and platform and resources, I think there's ways for us to expand the number without getting out over our skis. And so 100 is, is in a very near-term goal for us. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure that it goes much past that. I think instead, mm -hmm. like I described with Takeoff University, we start, we start introducing other opportunities. We start putting more things under the Takeoff Institute umbrella. I think of a, a lot actually like the Aspen Institute, right? There's so many different ecosystems and, and community building efforts going on underneath the larger umbrella. And so long as Takeoff Institute is known as just advancing opportunities, think we can build a ton of cool ways to have touch points with with students across the country. Are there specific blockers you would identify or, or you know, you have an attentive audience here, things you would ask for to get to that hundred fellows? Um, it's a great question. I think folks that have had any experience building, you know, call it Twitter University, Pinterest University, Plaid University, you know, folks who have been on the the internal teams that help stand up curriculum and training for employees, you know, that again, that's 
that's a large part of what we're standing up with the takeoff with takeoff university. And, you know, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to, to have the funding now and, and not be in a place where we're looking for money to do that. And so, you know, we have the resources to make this really special and just getting, you know, some of the design and, and product folks that, that might be listening, who might be interested in, in helping build a, you know, a, a community like the one that we're building, we'd appreciate it. And we'd, we'd love mm-hmm. to chat. Um, you can email me at, at brian at takeoffinstitute.com. I'd love to chat and, and learn. And even if you don't have time to chat, you know, if there's platforms that you know that look really cool and look like the type of thing that we should be m- mocking or mimicking, I think it's always helpful to see see comparisons and benchmarks. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that that'd be a great one. And the other thing I'd add is if you want to be a mentor, you know, please apply. Takeoffinstitute.com. It's an incredible experience. I wish I could say I had a hundred advisors, but I probably only have sixty because. Most of the ones who did the first cohort did the second cohort, um, and, and and they loved it, and they're doing the third cohort. It, it, you know, it's an hour a week. It's a very light touch. You know, eight weeks of the summer. It's very light touch, but I think it's impactful. So, we'd love to have some of the folks. Do you specifically look for black mentors? We don't. We don't. I, I think that that's a, a really important part of of this experience. Is like I mentioned, you don't get to choose who your direct report is. And so your, mm-hmm. your direct report might be white, Asian, black, you know, I, I don't care what they are. You need to get used to kind of having that direct report experience and, and building rapport and building, you know, that relationship regardless of, of what they look like. And so we appreciate having mentors that are male, female, and come from, you know, all different walks of life. Great. And that website again was? www.takeoffinstitute.com. Awesome. I think that's a very natural and, and great place to leave it. Um, I hope folks will contact you and, and get involved. And there's so much work to be done in this area. And, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity to have an impact. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Chad. Thank you. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at cpytel. Brian, if folks want to get in touch with you, uh, you want to say your email again and any other channels, they should do that. Yeah, perfect. Brian at takeoffinstitute.com. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at bhalls1, B-H-O-L-L-S-1. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.